haircuts. One of the biggest debates many of us have is, should I get bangs? If you're in that boat right now, we've got everything you should know before you commit to the chop, courtesy of Mr. Sal Leonetti. Thank you very much. Tracy Moore is best known for covering style, food, and other lifestyle topics on City TV's City Line. But during the pandemic, she found herself with a platform to tackle the heavy issue of race in Canada. Moore is the recipient of this year's Changemaker Award from the Canadian Academy of Cinema and Television, recognizing a Canadian media personality using their voice to call out systemic discrimination and promote equity and inclusion. She joins us on this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, to talk about her journey to becoming a changemaker, the evolving climate for inclusivity in Canadian media, and her own work as a host to bring more authenticity to television. Hi, my name is Tracy Moore. I'm currently the host of City Line on City TV. And if I were to think about the start of my journalism career, we're going all the way back to high school when I loved to write and did not know what I was going to do with that. My English teacher, Miss Holding, she was the one who opened my mind to the different possibilities. She said, well, you know, there's politics and there is law and there is journalism. And I thought to myself, ding, ding, ding. That sounds kind of cool didn't want to be a creative writer, but I definitely loved to write and create essays and read a ton. So she advised me, maybe take a general arts degree and then see where it leads you. And I did just that. It was when I was at university, I was at McGill and I decided to start volunteering at the campus radio station. And that was when the bug bit me. Right in the first year of university, I started uh, volunteering to do community ads on one of their shows about black diasporic politics. It was called Soul Perspectives. And I worked my way up to having my own show on that campus radio station. I think my show was probably horrific looking back, but at the time doing community radio was such a great entrance into the world of broadcast. We literally did everything ourselves. We did all of our own research. We wrote all of our own scripts and it was fun and it was fulfilling. And I decided after my undergrad, I was going to pursue a master's in journalism. I went to Western for that, got my first job in the communications department at CTV, talked to everybody I possibly could stop in the hallways there. And that led to my first job at CBC, where I was assigning the camera crews for the reporters. I was horrific at it. And at the time, everyone had advised me, if you know, if you want to be a reporter, if this is what you want to do, you got to get into the newsroom and you need to get onto the editorial side of it. So I started as an editorial assistant, basically the bottom feeders of the newsroom at the time. And my job was basically to take the script off of the photocopier and bring it to the anchor and then sit at my desk until the next half an hour um, when I needed to deliver them a new script because it was a 24 hour news station. After doing this for a while, I realized I was going to have to be very proactive about trying to be noticed. So I begged and pleaded to be put in a camera course so I could learn to shoot camera. I noticed there were a lot of VJs at the time. 
I thought maybe I could be one of those for the local news. Pitched ideas every single day to the local news desk at CBC. They began to know me by Moore T because that was my sign-on name. And at some point, the producers started coming around from the local show to where the, uh, the editorial assistants were sitting and saying, who's Moore T? And I would say, oh, that's me. And they would just sort of be like, all right, give me a little nod and keep it moving. Really, when I got my big break was 9-11. was such a catastrophic news event that they had sent every single reporter in the newsroom out to cover an angle of the story. And the local news was short. You know, they needed someone else. And there I was. I had begged to do a camera class. And I said, I will do it. I will do whatever you want. And they threw me the keys to a CBC van. And off I went to the U.S. consulate. And that was my first day on air at CBC. I continued in news. I continued to become a backup anchor for the local news. And then eventually an anchor on the 24-hour news show. Then I was asked uh, by a colleague to move on to a private station called Toronto One. I don't know if anyone more than my parents watched that station, but I was there for three years and had a great time with a lot of other talent in the industry that is doing incredible right now. I was there and hired at the same time as Arissa Cox, Dina Pugliese, Natasha Ramsahai, Michael Serapio, Mark McAllister, Andrea Bain, Tamara Simino. There were a ton of us, all in our late 20s, all partying as hard as we were filing our stories, having the time of our lives. When the money ran out for Toronto One, I was looking for work and I had sent a tape into City TV. They told me there were no jobs, but in the end, they ended up calling me. And I came in to audition to be a an anchor for CP24. After about a week of doing that, they asked me to be the live reporter for Breakfast Television, which I loved and I did for three years while also becoming a backup anchor on that show. And then in 2008, uh, there was a huge opportunity that I didn't even see as being something I should pursue. It was my news director who told me Marilyn Dennis was leaving CityLine and they were going to hold auditions for a new host. And I said, that's nice. Why are you telling me this? And she said, because I see you in this position. Now, just to give you some context, at the time, I was going to be Diane Sawyer. I was going to be hosting 2020 or 60 Minutes. I was like very news-oriented journalist. I had an agent in New York. I had been sent in for interviews to be on CNN and NBC News and CBS and ABC. So this was the trajectory I thought my career was going in. And I went home to my husband and I said, this is so odd. The news director has said that she would like me to, you know, audition for this lifestyle show. And he was the one that was getting me hyped. He was like, well, this is a great opportunity. And, and we're young and we're starting a family and we just got married and we bought our first house. And there's all these lifestyle things that are like very applicable to our lives right now. And so then I got excited and I said, yes. And I spent the next three months auditioning on a rotating, rotating wheel of different really strong women contenders from across the country vying for this job. And I got the job. And in 2008, when my son was six months old, uh, I started hosting CityLine. And this October, it will be 15 years. And I'm so happy I landed here. The reason we're speaking today is because you'll be presented with a special award from the Canadian Academy at the upcoming Canadian Screen Awards, the Changemaker Award, 
which in part recognizes your work to seek transformation in media and promote equity and inclusion. Obviously, who Tracy Moore is today has been an evolution, but at what point did it feel like you were breaking barriers? I feel like this work started so long before I had a platform on television that it's felt like a continuum to me. But I will say the moment when I felt everyone around me started to notice was in 2020. All of a sudden, the death of George Floyd had sort of opened this realization globally that racism exists, that police brutality exists, that it's pervasive, that it's everywhere. And for the first time in my career, even though I had always made sure the direction in my reporting was very much about exposing the inequality that happened to marginalized communities. In this moment in 2020, I was being asked to sort of step in front of that camera as a Black woman, not just as an anchor, a host, a journalist, but as a Black woman anchor, host, journalist. And I believe it was the first time in my career when that invitation was there for the taking. And... 2020 was a year of great anxiety for me because I, you know, the amount of emotional labor when I look back was, it was wild. It was, it was doing panel discussions and information sessions off camera. It was mentoring folks off camera. It was meetings to figure out, you know, how are we going to get some substantive change in? This is with other Black broadcasters in Canada. We all felt the urgency. We all felt that we had about five minutes to get change in because we knew the door was going to close again. So it was a time of a lot of stress, but it was also a time of, of, of hope, you know, for once even while remaining cynical, I thought maybe we can exact some real change. But at that point, I felt like I was put on front street in terms of my identity and how that related to the way I did my job and my thoughts and feelings and, and values and belief systems. That was the time when everyone else learned what I was about. Prior to 2020, did you ever feel at times that you were being held back in your career because of race or gender. I've heard you speak before about the negative reaction when you took over the helm of City Line. Absolutely. My, you ha I guess you have to understand initially, to be a marginalized person in this country, you've probably been raised by parents who are also marginalized. And I, and I will temper that by saying I am mar marginalized with privilege. I come from a two-parent family, both my parents worked very hard. Both of them scraped their pennies together to, to create a really good life for my sister and I. We didn't want for anything. So while I am a Black woman, I also grew up with a ton of love and people pouring into me. So, But we also grew up with this message that in this country, there will be people who want to hold you back. That's none of your business. You thrive despite that and you do what you need to do despite that. And I think like many West Indian parents out there, it's very much about putting your head down and getting the work done. You don't complain. You just keep moving forward. You just keep pushing forward. And so, yeah, were there were there things that happened that was was harmful for me getting ahead in the industry? Absolutely. I had no mentors to speak of, no family connections. I had no idea how to navigate the system, having, you know, knowing no one in the system. A lot of the stories I pitched were misunderstood. 
a lot of the times when I would speak out about things in story meetings, there was absolutely no support or understanding. I was asked to change my hair. I, you know, I ended up coming onto a show where when we talked about nude pantyhose, the color was beige. There was no thought to the fact that there might be viewers who are non-white watching our content or non-cisgendered or non-straight or non-anything. There was barely any inclusivity at all. It was all about sort of everything I was doing was based on this pretend viewer in Saskatoon who was a white middle-aged woman. So all of these things are incredibly prohibitive when you're trying to build confidence, learn a job, get ahead. And they're all the things that me and probably every other person that comes from the, you know, from a marginalized group has to figure out how to navigate. So there were challenges all along the way. I wanted to ask you about pitching because it's very clear from some of the projects that you've taken on over the years that you really are interested in making a difference. You've produced a podcast and an RTDNA award-winning series for City TV focused on race. And as you said, the climate for those type of projects is great now, but did you ever pitch stuff in earlier years that you got pushback on? Definitely. I would say that I understood the environment that I was in and I chose my battles carefully. So I didn't think we would get to the point where we could have conversations about misogynoir or white privilege or any of the big topics of knowledge that most people have sort of missed because we hadn't been taught this in school and you wouldn't know it unless you were reading about it or living it, you know, had the lived experience. I didn't think we'd get to the point where we would have, we would have the opportunity to talk about these things. What I was working on was trying to increase the visibility of the storytellers, because I think that when you have a diversity of storytellers, you get to hear different stories. If all the stories look the same, are from the same socioeconomic background, kind of move in the same circles, you will get the same stories. So that was my concern. And that was why from the minute I started on City Line, it was for me about trying to build a cast of characters that reflected the country a little bit more accurately. I don't want to make this all about race because you're a huge advocate for using your platform for women's empowerment as well, including being very open about your own struggles with weight and mental health. I personally love it when you post no makeup videos on Instagram. There are a ton of media personalities who choose not to put their life out there on social media. But can you talk about finding that balance in what can be a very toxic environment? I'm going to talk about the idea of speaking about my imperfections, because you're right, it isn't only about race. It's about so many things. It's about women being told through messages, big and small, every day of our lives that we are not enough. And it's about trying to combat that. And what I found is sometimes when you have someone around around you who is completely comfortable in who they are, they give you permission for you to be completely comfortable in who they are. And I'm not comfortable because I'm perfect. I have accepted my imperfections and I know my limitations. So when I started on the show and I realized, oh my gosh, number one, I don't know anything about decor. 
I don't have money for great fashion. And also I do not cook and nor do I ever want to cook. How am I going to get through a show that is based on all of these things that I don't really know about, nor am I, you know, to be truthful, 100% interested in. And I can't remember at what point it happened, but I noticed that, you know, when I told the viewers, that's a great recipe, chef, I'd never make it just because it's my husband that's doing all the cooking and I have zero interest in doing it. I did it as at a, at a risk. I didn't know, like, are they going to be thinking, why is she in this role? What happened was the opposite. I think people want to see the real you. They may agree with you and they may disagree with you, but they know that you are being true to yourself. And there's something so comforting about seeing someone in their authenticity. So I think on the show through baby steps, I would sort of try different things. Like maybe I'll be honest about the fact that I only wash my bra about once a month. Maybe I'll be honest about the fact that I'm really struggling as a mother. Maybe I'll be honest about the fact that I never, I never really got what the different cries in my babies meant. Like I didn't know when one was a soiled diaper and one was hunger and one was just comfort. Like I never got that. And so I think through trial and error, I realized that love it or hate it, I think people would rather me step out as myself. And so the most beautiful things I see now, like the 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 best post or little DM I got just last week from a follower, this is the exact message. Well, I did it. I went on vacation and wore a bikini. In fact, I wore several every day for a week at 47 years of age. Finally learning to not care, in brackets, as much, because I'm a work in progress. Wink emoji. Thanks for inspiring me. I'm absolutely certain I'm not the only one you've inspired. And these are the kind of messages that make me feel like it is completely justified for me as a 48-year-old lifestyle host on television to go to a beach and film a little video in my bikini with my little girl and throw it up there on Instagram. I feel like this is, I'm going to just be the change that we all want to see, which is a middle-aged woman enjoying her life and not being held back by any of these preconceived notions that the world has told us that we need to be concerned about. I think there's also a conversation here about the expectation of what media personalities should, in quotes, look like. Have the environments that you've worked in always been supportive? Do you have advice for people coming up in the industry who might encounter this? I think the more of us that don't look like the norm, the more of us there will be that don't look like the norm, don't sound like the norm. Maybe we have accents. Maybe we're not a size two. Maybe we don't dress in the ways that most folks have dressed in conventional legacy media. Maybe our hair is a bit different. The more difference we can see, I believe the more difference we're going to see. And I have to think really hard sometimes, even to myself, about the fact that I am stepping into a space where no one like me who looks like me has stepped into. Now, I, I like I'm, I am not disabled. I speak English like I was born in this country. I have a name and no one can really tell my ethnicity or my race based on my name. I got a lot of things going for me. So I'm not trying to say that this is the hardest struggle ever waged. 
But, you know, my weight goes up and down. I can be 200 pounds and I can be 140 pounds. That is a vast difference. And it's all going to depend on how much I'm enjoying my life in the moment. Or do I have a photo shoot? These days, I don't even care. You're going to get the body that I have. And I think that it is, it's, it's lovely to see a woman just being who she is in that particular moment of her life. There are days when I'm going to be super busy. I have parents who are now really sadly becoming ill. I will be living in a drive-through. You're going to get the body that you get. So there's something really liberating about just knowing that the more I show up as me in that moment, the more other women hopefully have permission to show up as themselves. Absolutely. It's so refreshing to hear. As we've talked about, you don't start out as a change maker. If you're someone who's not established in their career, how do you push that needle forward without totally coming off like a squeaky wheel or being accused of making people feel uncomfortable? And at what point were you mindful of that when you were coming up? I'm mindful of everything all the time. And that's part of being not from the mainstream. I overthink. I think about something. I think about it again. I think about how people are going to take it. I think about the fact that I don't look like most of my viewers. And I understand that that means that it puts me in a position where, you know, support isn't an automatic thing. Now it's been many years. And I think that the biggest advice I could give someone is live your life in the way that you want maybe other people to live their life. This isn't something I do for television. This is like, I'm always walking around with food in my pocket to give. I give people change. I don't feel like people who don't have a house did something wrong. I, I, I don't come from that mindset. I come from the mindset of it's overwhelmingly bad out there. All you need to do is to turn on the news to get a sense of that. So what can we do to step away from the overwhelm and change something in our little world? And when I say our, our little world, I mean like my little park across the street from my house. Is there someone living there in a tent? Because that's what folks have to do now in Toronto. It's that bad. Can I drop them off some food? Can I go around the house and collect shoes that we don't wear anymore or collect blankets that we're not using anymore, wash them all up and distribute them around the neighborhood? If there is a, a huge shooting in Nashville, is there a GoFundMe I can contribute to? Is there something, is there a politician I can send an email to? You have to sort of live that life in real life. And I think that's part of the reason why people understand that I'm not asking anyone to do anything that I don't do. I'm not, and I'm not being judgy about it. And I understand everyone's busy. And I know most people don't have any money and most people are struggling. So let's bring it down to really small, localized, what can I do in my world? How can I teach my kids to be better with other people who aren't like them out in the world? What do I tell them when they come home and they tell me there was a fight at school and there was, you know, one person that's being bullied all the time. What's the message I'm telling them about that? Am I saying to them, well, you know, why is she being bullied? And are you a part of that? Could you separate yourself? Could you talk to any of the people that are treating this person badly? We all have a responsibility to do that. And I think if more of us were doing that in our little corner of the world and not just sort of collapsing under the overwhelm, we might be able to get more change happening. 
So live that life that you want to see other people living. And then when you get into a situation where you're public facing and you're getting pushback, you can actually say, you know, this is what I do. You can take it or leave it, but it's just a thought. It's an idea. What does being recognized with the Changemaker Award mean to you? It means the most to me, this Changemaker Award. And, you know, I hate the fact that at this point in my life, I'm still into awards, <laughs> but I am. Particularly this one, because it's about the work that I really care about. I was the stars in my eyes, idealized young adult who wanted to get into news reporting so I could change the world. When I was done sort of teaching myself about what was happening around the world with women in the Black diaspora, why we were struggling so much globally, I thought to myself, I need to pick a career where I can try and educate and maybe even change a thing or two. And so the fact that this award is a change maker award, it really is all about legacy and it's all about leaving the world a little bit better than we found it when we came into it. So it, it means a lot to me. Do you have a thought you want to close on, Tracy? I guess I would say to anyone who is thinking they want to be able to change the environment that they're in or the way people think, that's a tough one these days. I would stick to trying to make things better for the people around me quite personally and doing all the good deeds rather than trying to change minds these days because it's a tough, it's very polarized right now. Um, and I'm not saying you should speak in, a, in an echo chamber, but you need to understand that people aren't necessarily going to change their mind, but they will be looking at how you behave and how you act in the world. And that will be the most compelling evidence for them. And if you aren't in a, in a situation where you want to change things and you are getting pushed back because you will, and you are getting a lot of people around you who doubt you, um, and you are feeling very isolated because it is very isolating, have a community. That community can be the smallest community. It can be one person. It can be two people. But it's someone who is in that space where you're trying to make the changes who you can go to and you can shut the door and you can vent. And you can talk about all the things that have gone wrong and they might not be able to fix anything for you, but they can help you carry some of the load. And that's what you need if you want to continue to change things, because trust me, the, the world needs change. Thanks so much for joining us, Tracy. Thank you, Connie. I appreciate it. for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have faults. He had the same amount of faults as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know? And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.